Hello and welcome to Jibber Jabber, our first episode. Um, so today we've got a lot of stuff to discuss. Um, obviously, it is our first episode, as I said. Uh, so I'm joined by Kieran, uh, who's obviously the co co guest here. Uh, if he wants to say hello, I'm here. Hello. Uh, so we're going to be discussing some different things today. So we've got different sections. We've got UK news roundup, US news roundup, and then just a big debate. And our big debate today is: Was Trump good for the United States? Uh, so we'll get to that later. Um, but in the meantime, we were going to talk about uh, the uh, rather unfortunate record COVID deaths at the moment. Yeah, it hasn't gone well, has it? No, it seems to be getting periodically worse. I think every day in the last month, we've had record COVID deaths, um, which is extremely unfortunate. Um, but is the government to blame, do you think, Kieran, or is it up to something else? It's a mixture, I think. Honestly, people aren't really following the rules, but the lockdown isn't tough enough. Yeah, I did see that um, as a measure of uh, like uh, road traffic. Uh, I think they said it was like now in this lockdown, uh, our road traffic usage is at 60% of what it would be normally. Whereas in the first lockdown, it was only 20% of what it would be normally. Um, I know, it's ridiculous. So it's just It does show that people are travelling more perhaps than they otherwise would be. Yeah, people at school as well. The schools are closed, but they're not closed. There's too many kids in the schools because apparently they're key workers. Yeah, I did see that in some that in some schools in certain areas they've got um, actually pretty much full cohort in some years, um, which is not not the best because it's you've got less staff in as well. So that's tricky, I'm sure. Yeah, it's still spreading, and we can't really. What can we do? It's going to keep going up. I think we'll be past two thousand deaths a day. In the next week, yeah. if I'm predicting. It's a pretty grim milestone in the US as well with COVID deaths, uh, almost getting to over 400,000 now, um, which is more than uh, lives were lost in World War II for the United States, which is quite a grim milestone for them. Yeah, it is. But then you think about it, they're getting 4,000 deaths a day. We got 820 or 1,820 yesterday. Yeah. And we're five times smaller than they are. We've got the worst death rate in the world for COVID. True true i wonder what that is i mean there's a lot of demographic factors i mean they say don't compare countries because of things like uh population density for one um see we've got a lot of a well a lot more uh population in a lot smaller area than the united states um yeah but their population is bigger so yeah i do agree with you places like new york in the first wave in the united states really densely populated they had it really bad they they did have it quite we're here we're all densely populated yeah i'm pretty pretty going out there like you know pretty patel going out there with like oh yeah all the police are going to come get you and stuff um as if they don't have enough to do already but um, but i have seen the police they are actually out yeah they are actually out um which is is probably a good thing um i haven't seen them do anything but no um anyway moving on to vaccination um i was going to say it's good now that they're moving to the over 70s category. I know, it's great. Both my grandparents have had the first dose. Oh, they've already had it. That's, that's really they good. They had it yesterday. Oh, that's good. They had the Pfizer one. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think my grandparents are going to be invited for theirs. They haven't had it yet. Um, but it's probably a good idea. I, what do you feel about the split dosage policy? Do you think that's a good idea? Well, having one dose, getting as many people one dose. Yeah. Well, I watched I watched uh, quite a bit on this. I saw the, a Tony Blair, and then I watched Nigel Farage also talk about it, which was two different sides of the spectrum, but they both agreed. Mm, yeah. And they both said that 
mathematically or statistically, if 60% is what first dose immunity brings from one dose, that is better having a lot of people on one dose than people on two doses with 90% effective. It's just maths. Mm, yes. And of course, Israel has had the most effective vaccination policy uh, in the world uh, so far. Yeah, but saying that with Israel, they um they said that it may not, 60% may not be the first dose immunity mm, i think they said it might drop to f- like 30 percent if the second dose isn't given in a certain amount of time um yeah which is an interesting factor to have to wrestle with i guess very much um because obviously it would be great if we could just have all the vaccinations you know in a storage warehouse somewhere but that's just not how it worked in reality no well then it's the thing is their production as well yeah like mm. they were saying the Pfizer vaccine they're having to they were saying something i don't quite understand they have to cut production to increase capacity, which kind of makes sense. But if we've ordered a amount of doses, they still need to supply. If they can't go, oops, we should have built an extra production facility <laughs> six months ago. Don't think it works like that. Yeah, it is really crazy um, because you think the logistics of this is quite impressive still that they've managed to get a vaccine in, was it like nine months or so? Um, which is still quite yeah. impressive. But, you know, it's... Uh, logistically it's very difficult to manage especially with the Pfizer vaccine having to be stored at such awkward temperatures yeah was it minus 70 or something something? like that they go vaccinate people in Antarctica or something (laughs) yes the mass vaccination center for polar bears I mean polar bears that sounds about right (laughs) I mean who knows maybe polar bears can get coronavirus that's 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 something I would like to see (laughs) you'd like to see polar bears with coronavirus no, but I'd like to see if they could. I think that test would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would be. Um, but it's uh, it's all rather interesting. Um, I saw the uh, I saw a, an article the other day about uh, how uh, Chinese ice cream is getting infected with coronavirus or something. Well, they probably put snake in it or bat. <laughs> That's what they probably put in the ice cream. Um, I don't know about that, but maybe it's just malpractice, farming malpractice. Um. How else could you get COVID in an ice cream? It comes from a milk, which was from a cow. True. They're putting bat in it, I'm telling you. True. It depends. There's uh, still a lot of research that needs to be done into um, the cause of virus because we're still not 100% certain what led it to make the jump to humans and where it initially came from. I mean, we, we know it came from China, more or less, um, but... Again, it's a bit difficult to get information out of China, so it's quite hard to determine the truth. Well, they sent that squad to China, didn't they? Yeah, the squad. The squad, the UN squad. <laughs> I think what they're going to find. <laughs> the UN squad just consists of the Chinese government holding up a sign which says, uh, "No virus did not come from here. <laughs> Stay in <Yeah>. your hotel." <laughs> I think the greatest thing is this UN squad, as we're going to call it. They went to China about a year after it happened. Mr. Chinese, Mr. Xi Jinping, has probably been clearing up all the evidence. It's like a crime scene. It's like playing, I don't know, it's like a murder mystery. I'm going to give a year to clear up all the evidence. So when you come, you're not going to find anything. They just evacuated Wuhan and sprayed the whole place down with bleach. And then they're like, oh, now come have a look uh, at what's gone on here. Yeah, I know. We we definitely didn't have like a factory that made it. Or we definitely didn't have a bat market. Interestingly, though, if you follow what the Chinese did with their lockdown policy being so strict, according to China, you know, according to their statistics, they have actually got cases extremely low because of their harsh lockdowns. But again, we have to 
think about the reliability of those facts from coming out of China. Um, well, I think they're half unreliable and half strict lockdown, including locking people into houses and not letting them out for food or water. It, I think is against slightly against human it, rights. It might be just a little bit. Um, but then uh, can we argue? I mean, does, it's like it comes back to do the means justify the ends, you know, but uh, it all depends on your outlook. I certainly wouldn't say that that would be an appropriate thing to do in this country. No, certainly. neither. But again, if it works and it saves more lives, but then how many lives does it cost in the process? You know, harsh lockdowns do cost lives, especially if in these harsh lockdowns in China, you might not be able to access the facilities that you actually need and resources that you need. Yeah, I don't know. All I think is China's the big winner out of this. I don't know. I, I think they could be the big loser, though, because, you know, with Trump going on about, you know, it being the China virus and the world being like, you know, China, this is what happens when you suppress facts and suppress medical information. And, you know, when you lie, it comes back to bite you. And internationally, it should have been your responsibility to report on the facts of coronavirus. And if they'd reported on it in time and they'd taken that, uh, was it uh, an optician or a, a, one of the doctors in China who got suppressed by the Chinese government for identifying coronavirus? You know, if they'd gone to the World Health Organization and gone, you know, we found this new virus, people need to be, you know, careful. Um, but they didn't report it for whatever reason. Yeah, but China's not necessarily acting in the needs of the international community. They're acting in the needs of themselves. That, that's very true as well. Um, I think uh, also what you've got to note um, is kind of the culture of lying that still comes out of the communist regime from, you know, the 50s, um, 50s and 60s. You know, there was that entire culture of lying where local party officials uh, didn't report on the actual reality of the economic situation because they didn't want to be found by central government to be failing in their targets. Uh, and I think you see that even now, even now it's moved a bit less communist uh, in its leanings, economically speaking, it's still got that authoritarian leaning where it's like, oh no, do we report on this? Do we not? Because it's about local control, but also reporting up the party, you know, are you going to tell them the entire truth about how your economy is performing? Um, because I think economic figures for China have been quite misleading as well, because year on year, they've had a steady increase in every single year, except like even in like finance years of financial crises. So, you know, it's not very realistic. Um, so there's a lot of uh, economists who believe that China's lying quite a lot about their economic figures. So there's a lot they might, otherwise be lying about as well. Mm, I understand what you say. If China isn't lying, they're doing amazingly. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Maybe communism is working. Who knows? It's not communism. It's a one-party dictatorship. We That's true. But then, in the end, those extreme ideologies do require authoritarian leadership to make them a reality. That's true. That's true, but... But what I'd hope to think is it won't last out there. They are a threat to the international community, in my opinion. Other people may see it differently. And they are a power to be reckoned with. They've got influence across the globe. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you there. I'd say, you know, China is probably the biggest threat certainly the world faces at the moment. Um, obviously, coronavirus is perhaps a more looming immediate threat. 
along with climate change, but also when you look at Chinese foreign policy and kind of the interventionist nature of that uh, with sort of tit for tat relations with Africa um, and, and certainly Central America um, is quite concerning because it's kind of like a soft colonialism, uh, which I think will cause problems in the future. Um, but perhaps we should move on to uh, voting to keep trade deals of countries with bad human rights, um, which was, I think, your topic, Karen. Yeah, so it was. We need to move away from China because I'll end up in Spiral. a <laughs> rant. But yeah, but then again, China's kind of connected to this because of their treatment of the minorities. That the is Uyghurs. very true, yeah. But the government voted to pass, well, not to pass, but to allow trade deals to continue with them. Um, countries that have poor human rights records they only just passed it was 318 to 302 with some abstinations uh-huh. i think that is quite interesting but, because um certainly we've seen with china's record on human rights with uh, hong kong um and our deal with them when we handed hong kong over to them was that they would be treated along the lines of democracy and, and to be treated fairly on a number of things. So I think obviously Dominic Raab's issued a lot of uh, uh, reassurances to people in Hong Kong who hold uh, the, what was it called, the British, um, I can't remember the name, but can come here to live and work um, because they technically hold dual citizenship in some, some capacity. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Like it was meant to be a fifty-year lease, which was we, we had one hundred and fifty-year lease. It was meant to be a fifty-year transition mm. period, and that clearly hasn't happened. The um, the article basically said that they won't get rid of trade deals, or they won't refuse trade deals over human rights. That is quite interesting, I suppose. I mean, it goes back to kind of the global nature of the economy and whether that's in the best interests of everyone. Really, I mean, the more distant the production centres are, the worse the environmental impact and also, well, the less less connected and accountable the these big corporate monopolies actually are. Yeah, but at the end of the day, we've got a, we're a country after Brexit that needs trade True. deals. And, OK, there's, there's, there's Dominic Robb talking about putting fines on companies that are using effectively slave labour in sweatshops. But... That's always going to happen. That's just the way the economy works. Firms want to find the lowest cost of production. And if people in Bangladesh or Cameroon or somewhere are willing to work for one pound a day, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it works. That's I how don't the necessarily believe works, it. Um, but who knows where we'll be. Um, but obviously the US, that takes us on to um, with Biden's inauguration and what's going to happen with uh, UK-US relations uh, under the Biden administration. Oh, that'll be interesting. I'll hopefully, I hope Biden will try and take it back to the Obama years. Yeah, I, I think, I think so. I, I, I'm interested to see where they go because I feel like there's a lot of cooperation that can happen, particularly on climate change, because they're perhaps more aligned uh, with Britain now. And obviously, we're holding uh, the uh, the COP26 um, summit, um, so that will also probably give us quite a boost. Uh, in terms of foreign relations, um, but also links to the US. We've also got the G7 here. That's in Cornwall. Uh-huh. That is it. also true, yeah. That'll be important. But I think that Biden is, Biden's an interesting character. He's, I find him 
normal, not normal, but I know what you mean. Plain, mm. Keep middle mm. of the road. He's not a Trump. He's not going to be going little rocket <laughs> man. One day I'm going to nuke you. Next day you're my best friend. Next day I'm assassinated some Iranian. Yeah, like... it, it's. It, it, I mean, the Trump presidency was certainly unconventional. Um, but in some degrees, I, I, I think perhaps being an unconventional president can be of benefit um you know it it sets you apart from you know what what trump uh, called the swamp you know the congress being uh, unresponsive to the needs of the people but also the fact that politicians are just churned out over and over again rather than listening to the actual people they're meant to represent um but i think Biden presents a lot of optimism as well for the United States. You know, they've got this brand new agenda, climate change, um, all about unity, as much as that will be possible. I I don't know. It's interesting, though. Biden is the swamp. He's been in Congress since the 1970s. He's the swamp. He's the definition of what Trump exactly. was trying to break I, away from. I think from. the only reason he Obama got in was because he wasn't Trump. Um, you know, I think because Trump had failed so badly on a number of issues, but I think probably the main one we'd we'd say would be coronavirus and perhaps mismanagement of the economy as well. Um, I, I think, you know, Biden was just the not Trump choice. I think if Biden v. Trump happened in 2016, I think it will would have still been probably a, a Trump victory. In fact, it might well have been a, a greater Trump victory if it was Biden v. Trump mm. instead of Hillary v. Trump. I still think Trump would have won in 2020 had they not won oh, I, think, I think you could the be right. Yeah. Was at a record I think high. you could be right. The economy was at record highs and it was COVID that caused 400,000 deaths, unemployment to skyrocket. And then uh, the only other thing that would have stayed is the Black Lives protests. And a lot of the people that, don't care that is, about that. That is perhaps true. I mean, obviously, you've got to think about who Trump's base is. And a lot of that is uh, the white working class was a big vote turnout in the key states. Um, so I think one of the biggest reasons why Trump lost was uh, white women, uh, white suburban women just turning off from the Trump message and deciding, you know, Biden's not like an extreme Democrat, so they could bring themselves to vote for him. Um, But they, Trump was just, you know, too arrogant, I suppose, in in a lot of ways. Um, And perhaps I think, I think a lot of people found that their voting was perhaps um, justified once they saw his reaction to his defeat. You know, it it brought out the true colours of Trump, I think, you know, sore loser and just not really very engaged with the idea of democracy. That's an interesting point. But I think another thing, they talk, he talks about voter fraud. Mm. No. There wasn't any. No. I mean, no, there any wasn't voter any. fraud that there was recounts. was so minimal that it's completely negligible you know it, it, it wouldn't yeah, flip exactly. any of the results you know he'd have to flip a considerable number of votes to even have a chance to win one state let alone all the other ones he needs to win to flip the result yeah he did he, he did a recount in wisconsin biden Indeed, increased yeah. his lead that's what I, was trying to say. I think the reason that trump lost by as much as he did is because voting was mm. made easier because lots of people, especially those of ethnic minorities and those dem- Democrats, inner city people, uh, ethnic minorities, young people, they don't go out and vote on election day. The good old boys down in the <laughs> south, they always that, go that's out. That's true. And, vote. and also they older do. voters uh, as well turn out to vote. 
and they're mm. usually more Republican. But where you get a ballot sent to your house, and all you could do is put a tick in a box, well, not a tick. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, it, it varies from state to state. Box. You might have like, the situation with the random butterfly ballots. So I think they've got rid of those in Florida now. We have to like punch holes in things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was a disgrace, anyway, and that technique. But anyway, yeah, you put a cross in the box and you send it off. It became so much simpler which means so many more people voted that may not necessarily have voted. And the demographic that voted more were the that, ones in That is true. I think Democrat voters were more likely to vote through mail-in ballots than... Uh, and, and Trump voters were more likely to vote in person. So, you know, this is just where it is. I mean, that also tracks for Republican and Democrat voters um, overall. Um, but yeah, moving on. So we're talking about Trump's impeachment. Obviously, he's the first president to be impeached twice now. Yeah, that was, well, I wasn't expecting, when was it, the 6th of I January? Think might I think it right, may have yeah. been the 6th. Of people going into mm. the Capitol building, trying to storm it. There were some great pictures. Well, not great. Great's the wrong word. <laughs> Humorous some... images, but also some very disturbing images of the fact that they managed to get in. Disturbing, because, you know, yeah. Being the seat of democracy and also not only the do- democracy in America, um, but the entire world perhaps looks to America as a symbol of um, um, what a modern democracy should be, even though arguably it's probably overall maybe not as democratic as we might see, but it's still a representation of Western democracy. And and to see it under such attack, you know, the supposedly the wealthiest, strongest nation in the world is having its very institutions ransacked. You know, it's, it's quite disturbing to a lot of people. Yeah, it was disturbing. It's like the last time that the White House was invaded was 1812. War of 1812, the British. Well, yes, besides that. Besides the point. Uh, we no. didn't burn it all down. Um, but yeah. but... The fact that there's this picture of the guy with the Confederate flag. The Americans fought the Civil yeah. War to not have that Confederate flag yes, flown. The fact that the Confederate flag, 150 years on, was in the seat of the American mm. Congress, you can't do anything. That is, it's a sign that the, that the democracy out there is not working. And Trump, does he need to take some blame? Yes. Should he take all the blame? No. I no. think also, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, we did see some humorous images and obviously a lot of memes come out of it. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that when we see this happening, it is an attack on democracy, but also you see a lot of the kind of supporters of trump over the years and a lot of perhaps complicit uh journalists and, and other members uh, influential figures um i mean you see them kind of being silent um when the, when this happens because they're like in some ways they have actually enabled this to happen um by being complicit in the lies about election fraud and uh, spreading mistruths across america you know obviously you're feeding an audience an audience that wants to believe that trump could win but Trump and the media on the right has certainly fed into that narrative that the election was stolen. And I think that led to the fire that led to the incident we saw at the Capitol. And certainly Trump's inflammatory comments uh, about marching to the Capitol and stuff like that before uh, the, the Capitol sacking. I say that was, you know, I mean, that certainly shows him in a bad light. It does. I feel like they felt that he was their symbol and they were losing their symbol. Their symbol had power, and he was, the, he was losing, and they had to try and do something yeah. to help out. 
and I don't think what they did was right. I completely can mm-hmm. condemn what they did. Notably, but though, I would say I see it when you get situations like that where Trump's giving a speech and it's in DC, which is quite a liberal city. These people are coming from quite far away, and you have to be quite yeah a fanatical or dedicated Trump supporter to make that journey. You know, it, it's not it's not something you would do if you're more of a moderate Trump Trump voter, or like a moderate Republican who voted Trump because you just couldn't. You didn't like Kamala, you didn't like Biden, or you didn't like the Democrats in general, you know. So I think certainly you see extremists gather, not necessarily as a reflection of all the people who voted for Trump, which I think is the risk because you start generalizing. But fanatic Trump supporters are more likely to make that journey because they're the ones who are most dedicated to him. And I think that's where you all of those factors combined led to what we saw. And I think the interesting thing now, looking back at more at the impeachment side, is that the way the Republican Party or Republican Party members are trying to align themselves. So Ted Cruz, even though Ted Cruz is a front yes. runner for 2024, he will run. I think he will run. He's he's an interesting guy. He's a senator for Texas, but he still positioned himself with the Trump camp by voting against whatever everything. And still claiming that he knows that is his base. uh, He knows that he lost the 2016 primaries because of Trump's character. You know, Trump's voters, they needed somewhere to go. He still thinks, yeah, he still thinks that the right way for him to get in to at least power or at least to run for president is by following the Trump base, by taking over the Trump base. Other people, like I think it was Mm -hmm. Susan Collins, maybe, or there's some, some from Maine, but there's some Republican senators. And they're trying to distance himself. Mike Pence, in the last couple of weeks, has tried to massively distance himself yeah. from Donald and, Trump. I mean, was Trump good for the United States? I would say probably not <laughs> overall. I think it's interesting to have another outsider in, in government who is on the right, I suppose. But also, it's interesting to see how bad he was, it, you know... And how someone who was perhaps not the most capable person managed to take power. I see it as a way that some people are very effective campaigners. They get into office, Mm. they can't do it. He's one of those, he's Mm. an amazing campaigner. Nobody can deny that. You still, you had 400,000 COVID deaths. He still picked up a sizable margin of the vote. Well, the economy notably, tanked. Yeah, and I mean, he notably, notably he got more votes vote. than Obama did um, in 2008. Exactly. People still wanted to vote for him. He wasn't, he was mm-hmm. divisive, clearly. He was, but he was not necessarily a bad president. He was, was very I think sometimes speaking, speaking to the people directly doing. and also. You know, politicians have a certain way of dressing up what they say. And I think the certainly the appeal of Trump is that he says what he thinks. Yeah, I agree. But he I think that's bad I think. in some ways, because it's like, certainly with losing the election, he lacks that statesmanlike quality where there's peaceful transition of power, where there's, you know, uh, commiserations and, and you know, congratulations. Um, I certainly think he fell down there. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the video of Al Gore, but he ran in 2000 and that election was... Dubious and, and stolen, perhaps. Controversial, yeah. to say the least. 
but he survived prison, so he had to count up all the tallies and listen to any mm. objections to the tallies. And he yeah. literally rejected every single one of them. He was crazy. He was a career politician. Well, not a career politician, mm. but he knew what he was doing. He wasn't stupid. And he allowed it. Trump, on the other hand, Trump got power because people were disenfranchised with that America or American politics. He's an outsider. He ran. He got in. He worked hard. I'm not saying he worked hard. He said what he mm-hmm. thought. And sometimes I prefer that. I prefer not someone to lie and avoid a question. Yeah. He said what he thinks. He was a bit stupid. He was a bit mm. gung-ho, mm. especially on foreign policy. So. But at the end of the day, part of it I did support. He was trying to make America great again. Yeah, he and put I think America it's first. certainly going to be an interesting legacy um, and certainly a lot more on Biden's plate than perhaps he would have otherwise, um, you know, with not only coronavirus, the economy, but also trying to rebuild unity in such a divided country with two separate truths and two separate narratives. It's very difficult to bring people together who just believe completely different things. It is his question, though. Is Trump the worst president um, in US history? I think that there are some worse presidents than him. I think certainly, I know Warren Harding gets quite a bad rep, um, but I think by him surrounding himself with friends, there was certainly a lot of, obviously, the tea, was it teapot? dome scandal and all that so i think and obviously he he was quite ill as well so yeah so unfortunately i think i think trump is probably the most uh, perhaps maybe the most dangerous president in in recent history because of the fact that he's destabilized the truth i think there people I i certain i don't think that's all down to trump though i think different media wings have certainly been pushing their own agenda often uh, lies effectively or mistruths so i don't think it's all down to trump you know he's obviously talking about fake news but then interestingly throughout his presidency he literally became fake news spreading lies about election fraud which is interesting yeah but at the end of the day everyone works for name newspapers they want to sell copies they want to sell if they're going to put out a massive controversial big headline, yeah. they'll sell copies. If Trump puts out some big, exactly, bold yeah. statement, he'll get airtime. And I don't think he was. the. He may have been the worst president overall. If you'd, stop, if you'd stopped uh, 2019, so mm. 1st of January 2020, so a year and a bit ago, if you'd asked me that question, no. he was nowhere near. He, the, the economy was going up. The, he brought American troops home. Yeah, he's a everything was things, things, but he wasn't a, gear on. a disaster. He wasn't, yeah, exactly. He wasn't, yeah, there have been some issues, but there wasn't a disaster. But then you go through yeah. COVID, that he was appalling. Yeah. He called it a Chinese virus. Okay, that was very funny, but probably wasn't the most particularly. No, and I think certainly there were concerns raised about his uh, intelligence uh, when he was talking about injecting bleach. Along with other things. Oh my God. Yeah. Whatever it's called. I, and he tried to tell everyone to take... And put a UV light inside blood. their blood, like a oh, blood cleaner. I mean... And he said, yeah, and he tried to say, take this drug that <sighs> I have a stake in. I, I have shares in this company that makes it. And then the protests, Black Lives Matter, do I support the cause? I understand why they're doing it. Mm. I'm not massively a fan. But his reaction to that was awful. I don't think... You don't fight fire with fire no. in most cases. 
You don't go, they're having a riot or a protest. Let's send in the National Guard. And that makes it worse. Maybe. I mean, it's it's just all very difficult. Um, I think it was a combination of factors why he lost. But I think once you saw his personality sort of shine in, in a crisis, I think he was worse because he didn't seem to be able to lead very well because the subject material of the pandemic, I don't think he was necessarily smart enough to understand the empirical data um, behind the pandemic. And I don't think he really knew what he was doing. I understand what you mean, but Trump's never been trying to unite or to lead. He's been trying to get 51% always. He's been trying to just get slim majority. I mean, he's the most unpopular president, um, I think, since records began, like since polling began with FDR from... He ran, yeah, he ran, his approval rate ran at about 40%. I mean, I think it's lowest, it's been like 35% Trump. It did, it dropped by 10 points after. I mean, most presidents don't fall below 50% approval, really. No, and you'd have thought, like, George W. Bush, after 9-11, his approval rate went to 90%. How do you... I think it's quite a good indicator, though, in some ways, that his approval rating is that low. Because 35% at its lowest shows that perhaps only 35% of the United States are part of that fanatical kind of Trump wing that will ardently defend him. You know, I think that shows that that is... The percentage of the country that's not necessarily behind Biden or open to backing Biden. So I think there is opportunity and optimism for unity in the future because it is a minority position that's still saying that Trump, you know, had the election stolen. True. I, I don't think it will be, honestly. I look at it and go, there's Trump mm-hmm. fanatics who are going to support Trump. The Republican Party is divided. If impeachment happens, which and they stop him from yep. running for public office ever again, there may be some, there may be some healing. But at the end of the day, you've got a big split in the Republican Party. The Democrats seem to be united, but whether they'll be able to bring the Republicans on side, it's going to be another decade. Of, it's certainly going to be a difficult one, and I don't think that Biden will run uh, in four years' time. Um, I mean, we don't know where his health will be because he is already quite old. I mean, we can hope for the best, but I think. Either way, whether his health's good or not, I think he will decide that the White House is too tiring for a man of his age. Yeah, he'll study the he'll ship, study the set ship, up for Kamala, I think, after that. he'll do. So we've got to wait and yeah. see, but definitely an exciting four years in store for America. Let's be optimistic. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, we'll be back with you guys next week. Um, but feel free to follow us on Twitter uh, and Instagram. And yeah, just subscribe to our podcast if you liked it and drop us a line uh, telling us what we can do better. Um, and in the future, we hope to be able to do voice messages where you guys can give us the topic for debate at the end. Um, so have a good one, guys. And thanks for listening. <laughs>